Hello and welcome to the Playstech podcast. I'm Nicola Byrne. This episode has been brought to you in association with Node and Mills and Reeve. Join us as we explore the latest innovations transforming property. And now we realise your time is valuable, so let's get straight into today's episode. Today we're speaking with Charlie Wade, UK Managing Director of Leasing and Asset Management Platform, VTS. I sat down with Charlie to talk to him about his journey from JLL to VTS, his time in Silicon Valley and the good, the bad and the ugly of PropTech. Hi everyone, my name's Charlie Wade. I'm the Managing Director for VTS here in the UK. Um, I actually opened the office in January 2016 and we've been growing the business and the team here in Europe for the last three and a bit years. Prior to my role at VTS, I worked at Jones Lang or JLL as it's known now, for a little over 10 years um, and worked with them in the US and in the UK. Fantastic. And I want to go back to the very start of what makes you you today. What were you like growing up? What did you do at school? Have you always been into tech? Well, growing up, we were at school in the 90s, weren't we? So having watched a TV program last night on the BBC, I forgot that's when computers were introduced to schools. So um, it's quite interesting seeing where it's come since obviously those early days of computers to what I'm now doing today. I didn't think I'd end up in a technology company or in a technology role, that's for sure. Uh, Real estate has always been something that massively interested me. Um, And I did see myself going into the kind of the real estate world. Um, My grandfather was a charter surveyor and uh, I think he retired at 32. So I thought that's got to be okay, isn't it? I'll go and uh, try my hand at commercial real estate. But no, in all seriousness, the built environment Real estate, residential, commercial, it's always been of huge interest to me, um, even as a, an early age. So was it just you, your granddad or was it other members of the family that really got you into it? Yeah, so we were very lucky. So my dad was in the Navy, so we travelled and moved around a lot. So we were in different countries, got to experience different cultures, and that all became quite second nature to me. But what obviously changed in all these environments was the built environment. And as you get a little bit older, you realise just, the variation and the variety out there. And actually, from a real estate perspective, you start to look at what is going on in your local environment, London as a city, and you start to realize, wow, this is all quite exciting. And so I guess subconsciously, I was kind of exposed to it at a very early age and realized there was a career in it. And there we go. So when everyone was going, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a vet, you were I wanted no, to be in commercial real estate. No, I wanted to be a vet. <laughs> you wanted to be I a vet? I wanted to be a vet. Um, so yeah, from my perspective, I did always actually, I do like working with animals. I live on a sort of a small holding slash farm at the minute, surrounding ourselves with all sorts of animals. So I guess on the one hand, I like the farm buildings and the farm, but on the other hand, the animals um, have always been a secret passion of mine. So taking that kind of inspiration from your granddad as a kid, what did you go on to do at university? So at university, Reading had a course which was called land management. And in the first year, it kind of exposed you to all aspects of real estate, um, mainly on the commercial side. And then there was the rural and agricultural piece. And then as you go through your three-year undergrad course, you do start to specialize and find where your your sort of niche is. I realized quite quickly that I wanted to go to London. I wanted to work in London um, and so started to really focus on the sort of the real estate finance side of commercial real estate. And that's what then got me my work experience at JLL and my subsequent job. So your work experience at JLL, how long were you there for? 
Um, so my work experience at JLL, that was an interesting one. I was actually on their first, I think it was their first internship program. They did a bunch of interviews for people that had applied for work experience in the summer and shortlisted, I think it was 12 of us at the time. And then we were asked to come in and spend six weeks on quite an intensive internship program that we didn't know if there were going to be job offers at the end of or anything like that, but we went in and we had a whole interview process for it. I was actually hanging out the back of a caravan window in Newquay with a very bad hangover, and I've subsequently found out the two people who interviewed me would have found that story quite funny, so I should have led with that, but got my internship and then was very fortunate to be offered a job at the end of it. So that was my second year of university. So I went into my third year of university pretty much with a job at JLL, which was quite a unique position to be in. That is incredibly impressive. I don't know about impressive. I'm going to say very lucky because there's uh, quite a lot of people and just must have been right place, right time. Talking of tech, because we are PropTech Publication and you do work for a tech company now. Before you found out about PropTech, what made you tick? What excited you in the tech field? I think from my perspective, you come into the commercial real estate world and you are young, you're enthusiastic, you've got a lot of ideas. And real estate, in the way it is, or certainly was 15 years ago when I started, not much had probably changed to the previous 15 years. And so you come in all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed with this notion that you can change, you can make a difference. And credit where credit's due, JLL does give you that opportunity, especially as a young surveyor. They throw you in at the deep end. They give you exposure to some really big clients and big names, and they do listen to your feedback and your ideas. Do they move as quickly as you'd like them to move? Probably not, but they are a very large corporate entity. So you realize quite quickly that it's hard for them to move the oil tanker when you're sort of darting about in the little speedboat. But from my perspective, I always was attracted to this notion of driving efficiency, questioning, is there a different way? Can we do that better? And underpinning all of that was this notion of you only do it for one reason, and that is to make more fees, to make more money. So... I think marrying up kind of wanting to be successful and also just challenging the status quo a little bit, which doesn't make you a load of friends, but I think also does kind of keep you honest and you certainly make plenty of mistakes and along the way and you've got to be humble about it. But for me, that was the really exciting thing. And I think I was very fortunate to land at JLL and I do credit them with the ability to kind of nurture and grow you. Um but I'd say the thing that kind of pushed me out of JLL into a technology company to try and do it from the outside looking in was just that sort of speed and that ability to change direction and actually influence change. And going back to you being within JLL and you wanting to drive efficiencies, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily make you a load of friends if you're like, I've got all these new exciting ideas. Did you start making way with things? What were the kind of conversations you're having with the people that were already there? So the notion of tenant rep um, was quite a new thing when I sort of started early on in my career. And it has been something that the US had led with. So this idea of as an agent, you represent the occupier and there's some money to be made through consultancy or brokerage fees um, on that side of the fence. And, you know, I was one of the early guys and girls at JLL that put our hand up and said, actually, we'll go that. We won't go the traditional route, which is known and proven. It's the landlord. They hold all the power. They pay the big fees. We'll go down this other route, which is the occupier route. And a big part of that was me looking at the opportunity on the other side of the pond. So JLL in the US um, had just bought a company called Stalback. They were a big tenant rep house, and they had a very, very clear ethos around customers and occupiers and helping them 
to grow their businesses. And actually, the more I got involved with my occupier clients, the more it took you out of real estate. You didn't have the blinkers on talking to the same types of landlords, the same types of people that are interested in doing deals. You are having to understand different businesses, different approaches, what people care about. And you actually become an extension of that team. So every tenant rep instruction, every sort of new mandate you win, there's different challenges and there's different opportunities. And that's what really excited me from pitching and trying to win that business to closing the deals to actually building really strong lasting relationships which I, I still have today and I think that's probably why that the tenant rep side of the business excited me and allowed me to be a bit more innovative because it was a new not a new concept but it was certainly um, less mature than the sort of traditional uh, landlord uh, representation. And then was it with JLL that you eventually got to America and spent some time in Silicon Valley. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about that? Yeah, no, it was. I think um, whether I got to go or whether they pushed me out because I was making too much noise, uh, who knows? But at the time I was working with uh, George Roberts, who obviously now runs the Cushman and Wakefield business, and and uh, Adrian Crooks, who runs the West End team at, at JLL, and, and Neil Prime is certainly a part of that as well. And <clears throat> I think between the three of them, they, they realized that I'd done quite a good job of bridging the gap in some of the deals and, and the relationships that we had with the US. And and I was starting to make a bit of a, become a bit of a nuisance, I think. And they were like, do you know what, we could probably do with six months without him here. So they uh, they shipped me over to the US and I worked with a, a guy called Giles Wrench, who um, was a Brit or an expat, sat in New York. And he just had a phenomenal, just a phenomenal point of view on the differences and the similarities between commercial real estate on a global level, um, the way that people think about things differently. He ran the international desk for JLL, so he was constantly the middleman between JLL on both sides of the fence, but then also clients from Europe, from America. And it was just really fun for sort of four to six months in New York working with him and, and sort of shadowing him and, and trying to bridge some of those relationships. And then off the back of that, I was actually offered a role on the West Coast, which is how I ended up in Silicon Valley. So it wasn't planned. I was only going to go out for, I think, 90 days and come back. Ended up going out for just shy of three years. That's fantastic. And what was that difference that you found between the commercial real estate in the UK and then in New York and in Silicon Valley? I mean, that's a big question. I mean, if you start at the US level, there are nuances and cultural differences between the East Coast and the West Coast. I think everybody knows that. And there are big cultural differences between Europe and the US and the UK within Europe. And so there is definitely individual personas and cultural nuances that are at play. But when it comes to real estate, the fundamentals of commercial real estate, it's not as different as people think. Okay, we might have some different lease structures, we might have a different way of viewing things, but fundamentally real estate, it's not rocket science, but there is definitely a science to being able to execute well in the industry. And what I learned in the US was that there's some of the approaches that some of the, the people were taking out there could absolutely be applied to continental Europe. And I saw an opportunity to sort of differentiate myself and almost be able to cherry pick, oh, what works in Europe from people I've learned there, what works in the US from people I've learned there, and start to really kind of grow up a little bit and try and figure out for myself where my niche sort of value proposition was going to be. And sort of early days coming back to JLL from the US, I spent a lot of time in front of our European owners talking them through what was different about the U the US market. And really, that was about 
the way that the US clients, landlords, started to look at the occupier and treat the occupier, the way they structured deals, the way they presented buildings, the way they sold themselves and their assets, things that absolutely they could learn, copy and take back into Europe. So the differences are are less than you'd think, but the subtle nuances are really quite interesting. And again, it's probably a podcast in itself going through sort of what I saw and, and learned there, but hugely exciting to be able to take what I learned and bring it back to Europe. And so important now you are part of a tech company and it is so global and to be able to know those differences is very, I can imagine, extremely handy. Yeah, I think um, people don't like to be preached at, which, you know, we certainly learned in our first year, telling people what they should be doing doesn't go down particularly well, even if it's with the best intentions. So I think allowing people to come along on the journey that, that I went on for three years and try and do it in a compressed time frame. But it certainly allowed me to have a bit more empathy. Empathy with someone who was sat on the other side that just might not know any different or empathy with someone who was trying to get a deal done much faster than perhaps someone who is used to taking a little bit longer to do their deals or, you know, taking a bit more holiday over the summer, etc. So there's those cultural nuances. But I think from my perspective, it was less about the ability to change Europe and more just kind of have a better understanding for the different players that kind of are all interact now in, in the global landscape. That's brilliant. And then at what point in your career was it three years that you're in Silicon Valley? Yeah, uh, well, little little under two and a half in Silicon Valley, but yeah, three years in the US. Was it then that you started to hear about the tech that could innovate property? I know you were obviously shouting about it when you were younger, but really, yeah. when, when were the murmurings appearing within the companies to that they really needed to start this innovation journey? Well, let's just be very clear. I don't think when I was younger at JLL, I was shouting about great tech ideas that we should adopt. I don't think they existed. What I was shouting about was there must be a different way. And this can't be the only way of doing things. Like, And even if we were trying to build our own tools or systems, it was like, let's just make this more efficient. And we were actually, to be fair, at JLL, particularly in the, the central London team, we were trying to steal ideas from other industries, other softwares, other technologies. But there certainly wasn't what there is today, this plethora of options. It wasn't like, oh, Charlie, can you help us vet the 200 different prop tech ideas out there? That didn't exist 10 years ago. So when I was in the US... Again, I wasn't exposed to suddenly a whole load of different technology. What I got exposed to was a whole load of different technology companies and also a JLL that did operate very differently and just had a bit of a different culture to the European JLL. And so that opened my eyes to this notion that you can be doing the same thing, commercial real estate, but you can do it differently and you can do things differently. And I did actually meet the VTS team. They launched their product in 2012. And you've got to remember 2012, a venture capital firm wouldn't touch prop tech with a barge pole. And so Nick and Ryan, you know, when they launched the company, couldn't get a meeting with a VC firm to raise money. They had to put their own capital, friends and family money into making VTS what it is in the early days and now today. So it was their drive and their passion and their pure belief that this could change the industry and the market that enabled them to grow the business. And then lo and behold, today, $12.5 billion gets invested in PropTech. It's what, seven, eight years later? It's kind of a huge journey that the industry's gone on in a short period of time. And obviously VTS has been, they probably were the trailblazers and I just jumped in at a very nice time in 2015, 16 and have been able to kind of ride that wave. And tell me about that time that you jumped in then. 
it was back in 2016, am I right? Yeah, so it was end of 2015 and we get an email blast come around JLL Corporate that VTS has just signed up a, a global agreement with JLL. I didn't really know what it meant. Um, I'd seen the technology a little bit. I remember being very impressed by it in the US, but they sort of said, look, we're doing the US first. We're not coming to the UK yet. And so when the email came around, I thought, oh, they must be opening an office. And with my broker hat on, I pinged Nick and Ryan straight away and said, hey, if you're looking for offices, you know you know where to go. Come find me and I'll, I'll show you the market. They actually said, oh, we're coming over next week. Be great to kind of catch up and grab a beer. So they came over, we got chatting, and the guys were sort of very proud about the meetings they got set up with Blackstone and Brookfield, and Morgan Stanley was in, or JP Morgan, lots of kind of very big, global, corporate US landlords. And I said, well, who are you meeting in London? Where's the Derwents, the Lansacks, the Crown Estates, you know, the local players here, the British lands, etc. And, you know, if they're honest, they probably looked at me and went, We've never heard of those companies before. And so that week they were over, I introduced them to a few people through the JLL network, made some introductions, did some meetings, and it made them realize that the opportunity in Europe was quite a unique one, particularly London, and quite a special one. And I think it really got them fired up and excited. So between that meeting, I think in October, and the end of that year, December, uh, there was lots of back and forth. And I was very fortunate that they foolishly maybe, decided to uh, offer me the opportunity to open up their first international office and help them kind of spearhead the charge into Europe. And how was that process of opening the first London office? Was it hard? Yeah, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So um, did we make mistakes? Absolutely. Was it perfect? No. But I learned a huge amount personally, and I think the company learned a huge amount as well. So the way we opened the office, the way we engaged with the market, we've learned what to do next time. And we've done that in other US cities and we'll be doing it in other European cities. And obviously we've also got to move into Asia Pack at some point. So we've learned a lot about how to enter new markets, sort of less mature markets, some of the right things to do and, and how to behave and things not to do, right? We made plenty of mistakes in the early days, but we're very fortunate that we have a great product team that sits behind us. We have a great technology stack and the passion and the belief of our founders and some of the new hires that we've made over the last couple of years into our team with a lot more sort of maturity and experience. It's just been a, a very steep learning curve, but a phenomenal experience and a great ride. Brilliant. And if you could offer younger Charlie back in 2015, 2016, opening this office, if you could offer him a little bit of advice on the mistakes that he did make, what would they be? There's a fine line between enthusiasm and uh, just annoying people. And I don't know, it's a hard one because you, you never know the mistakes you made, whether they didn't influence the, the decisions then you'd make following that. So would I give them advice to do anything differently? Probably not. I think your mistakes are kind of what make you. And I think if I hadn't gone through those mistakes, you wouldn't be able to kind of grow as a person. What I would say to him is that you're about to go on a very steep learning curve and that you will mature and change over three years faster than you, you've probably done over the, the previous 30. Absolutely. And if you were to give some advice to property companies starting to go on this journey or even young tech companies that want to approach these property companies, what would you say to them? Two bits of advice there. So for the property companies, I would say don't wait. 
So, and I, we've been saying this from the start, but we do, I mean, I genuinely, genuinely mean it. Change isn't happening tomorrow. It is genuinely happening now. And you have to go on a journey. So within your organization, you're going to have to change mindset and, and cultural differences. You're going to have to change the way that people operate. There's a lot of just process that's going to have to take place. And the longer you wait, the further behind you get and the harder that change is going to be. And it's happening at a pace now, which we've never seen before. So there is a lot of talk out there. People talk a big game about what they're doing versus what they are, uh, what they should be doing versus what they are really doing. But there are companies out there, make no mistake, that are going through the change and are cleaning their act up so that they have an opportunity to really, really broaden the gap between the competition and between those that might be sitting on the fence and waiting. So advice to the landlords and to the industry that are thinking about adopting technology is do it, don't wait, and sort of start the process now because the journey isn't a quick one. Uh, is that the biggest mistake that they can make? Or? I think the biggest mistake that companies tend to make is concentrating too much on the end goal. So the ultimate outcome, it's we want to be able to do this and there's this big kind of notion and this silver bullet that we need to find a solution that will give us that outcome. And I think you will actually learn a huge amount more about what it is you really need and perhaps even educate you know, parts of your business or your organization around where the value really is if you just start now and organically go on that journey. And from my perspective, it is about partnerships and it is about trust and you have to be committed and willing to work with companies and individuals that you might not work with today and might be a little bit outside your comfort zone. And you have to trust that, you know, we're very fortunate. We've done over 750 deployments of VTS. We've looked under the hood of probably every major institutional landlord on planet Earth right now. And so we've got some phenomenal insight. We've seen things that have done well. We've seen things that have done not so well. Rather than seeing clients go down the same path or down the same rabbit hole, we're here to provide free advice as to what they might want to consider consider and think about. And we'll be the first to say that if you do a proper evaluation of your tech ecosystem, if you really understand the pains and challenges of your company and your business, and our solution isn't the right fit, we're the first to say, great, that's fine. But if you're not even willing to kind of engage and have that conversation, we're sitting there thinking there's, there's value to be had and you're missing a trip. And could you clarify for those that are listening what it is that VTS does if they've never heard of you guys before? Yeah, so VTS is a, a leasing and asset management platform. So it's software and effectively it's a it's an operating system. It's a workflow tool that enables guys and girls in the industry to do their asset management day-to-day -day functionality in a more efficient way. By using technology, it enables them to start to track things they never thought they could track, data, you know, aggregation and collation that they never thought they'd be able to get insight to, collaboration and and effectively working on in a mobile environment that they kind of walked into the office the day before and thought, oh yeah, why isn't this possible? So everything from kind of an occupier transaction, managing that workflow, all the way through to sort of the tenant relationship, the approvals, everything that from an asset management perspective, you're kind of thinking about day-to-day -day on your assets. Um, VTS is a software that comes in to, to help answer some of those questions. As I said before, we're not the silver bullet. We don't do everything that people want out of a commercial real estate software, but we're very, very focused and very, very specific in helping the asset management side of the business. Fantastic. And um, what do you think it is that sells you so well to these huge property companies? 
Um, I don't know about what sells us so well. We we don't give up. We are incredibly passionate about what it is that we are doing and what we believe is having an impact. And I think you know we're a seven, eight year old company now, so we wouldn't still have that passion if it didn't work. We wouldn't still have that passion if clients didn't believe in what we're doing and we didn't get told, you know, on a daily basis that this has absolutely changed or provided a solution to something I've been looking for for the last, you know, however many years of my career. And so I think passion from our team means that we, and people will know this, we don't take no as an answer straight off the bat particularly well and we will continue to push people and challenge people and so i'm not sure about what makes us attractive to buy or whether we just don't give up i'm not quite sure but we are incredibly passionate about what it is we're doing that the industry we work in the people we work with and as i said we're, we're blessed by our sort of customers and people we're surrounded by that keep us going fantastic and then what is next for vts so VTS is about to go through quite, an, well, maybe every year has been exciting, but I would say it's a going to be a very exciting time for the company. So our operating system, our core platform, VTS3, as it's called now, that is the bread and butter of VTS. That is what we spent the last seven years building, and that is what has fundamentally transformed the industry. So with a little over 10 billion square feet being managed on VTS every single day, we're now in a very unique position where we've become the trusted partner of the industry. And we've created a standardization or a platform that is now going to allow us to do things that were never possible five, 10 years ago. So you're going to see market view and data and benchmarks being used in a whole new way. You're going to see marketplace allowing landlords in the industry to connect directly with their customers. Um, you're going to see that take off. And you're also going to see just the operation of commercial real estate become streamlined, more efficient. People are going to be doing deals faster digitally. The connotations are huge and the opportunity is incredibly exciting. And it's going to be a fun couple of years. I'm really excited to see what you guys are going to do next. And then speaking of yourself, what is next for you? What's going to be the biggest challenge from now on? I've got two alpacas arriving tomorrow. So um, that, that in itself is going to be a challenge. I had to build a shelter last weekend and they're, <laughs> they're quite tricky animals. Um, I've got two children as well, a three-year-old and a one-year-old who I'm taking skiing for the first time in two or three weeks' time. So um, that in itself will be a challenge. Is that sort of answer you're looking for? Or? Maybe as MD of VTS. Oh, right, yeah. VTS, yeah. <laughs> I think the challenge for us is to kind of continue this momentum. You know, we are, we always say within our company, this is our opportunity to mess up. I think we need to be absolutely on point with the detail around what we do, the partnerships, the customers. It's ours to kind of own and control and, and we really need to help the industry sort of with this journey. We use it a lot and you'll hear this analogy with all our team, but crawl, walk, run. We need to help the industry get out of the crawl phase into the walk phase as efficiently as possible so they can get to the run phase. And there's a lot of ownership and, and pressure on us to do that. So we take that personally. Success of our clients will basically mean a successful company for us. So that's where my focus is going to be. And 2019 will all be about client adoption, client satisfaction, and growing those partnerships. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you are going to achieve. Thank you very much for coming on the Place Tech podcast, Charlie. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Place Tech podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. All of our future episodes will be on there. 
If you like this episode, give us a social shout out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, email news at placetech.net.